Music, news, entertainment, it's all right here. This is The Kelly Alexander Show. Hey, it's Kelly, and joining us on the show this week is Canadian singer-songwriter Justin Rutledge, who has just released his new album called Passages. We also welcome classical and jazz pianist Matt Herskowitz talking about his new album called Mirror Image. We chat with our blogger Jeffrey Davies about some new music that you should check out this summer, and we also review some new tunes from Lucas Nelson, Madonna, and Taylor Swift. Justin Rutledge hails from Toronto and has built up a successful music career over the years. His new album, Passages, is here, and we're excited to find out all about it. Justin, welcome to The Kelly Alexander Show. It's great to be here, Kelly. Thanks for having me. So let's kick things off by asking how music became important to you. Like, did you know early on that that's where you were headed in life? No, not at all. I was never really musically inclined. Uh, you know, I, I was kind of hell-bent on being... Uh, involved in the literary community somehow. So um, uh, in high school, I was really focused on books and novels and literature and poetry specifically. And then uh, I noticed that, um, you know, I was sort of, I was a bit bit nerdy as a kid. And then I noticed that all the guys with guitars in high school were hanging out with all the girls. So, you know, I I found it really tough to meet girls. And so I, I thought I should learn how to play guitar. Um, that's and a good plan. That, yeah, and that's <laughs> that's really how I flipped into it. And then I uh, I had these melodies kicking around in my head, and so we started putting them to music at around fifteen or sixteen, and then but never really took it seriously until I'd say I was about twenty twenty one. Yeah, and um, that's when I I was at university, and then uh, I took a year off, and I said I'm gonna write and record a record that I'm happy with and that way I can tell myself that I've I've done it, I've done it to the best of my ability and then I can go back to school and, and finish my degree and and I never made it back to school after that. So you made the right choice? I think so, you know, I mean I don't know, it's, it's, a, it's still a struggle and it's, but it's, it's something I, I sort of one of those things like I don't know, people talk about a calling or a vocation and I, I just can't I just don't know what else I'd be I'd be really good at, so... Yeah, I totally understand. That's how I feel about being, like, on the radio and all that stuff. So totally get that and uh, doing my podcast. So I wanted to ask you, too, with regards to your musical influences, who were they growing up? Like, who did you listen to? And do you find that that seeps a little bit into what you produce these days? Well, um, you know, I really got heavily into Leonard Cohen when I was... uh, First, I got into his books in high school, and I didn't even know he had records Um and then a friend of mine gave me, you know, the best of Leonard Cohen, and that was that was it for me. So he's probably my main influence, simply because he had a really amazing way of of, of combining the uh, you know poetry and and, and lyrics. Uh, you know, they were sort of paramount to his to his songwriting, and that's in many ways that's 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 what I strive to do with my songwriting as well. Another person that influenced me greatly was um, a country songwriter named Graham Parsons, um, who died when he was 27, but he was in a great band called the Flying Burrito Brothers, and he put out two solo records of his own, which are both classics. And um, so the fuse of the two, you know, the Leonard Cohen and the and the Graham Parsons made for a, an interesting uh, 
pastiche yeah. for me that I, that I wanted to pursue. So you come from Toronto, which has obviously a, an amazing music scene. How much does the proximity to that scene and I guess the music uh, that you're producing sort of, you know, all come together? Like, are you influenced by Toronto? Yeah, I mean, I grew up in the, in the west end of the city. Uh, I was born and raised in the little area called The Junction. And a very, very working class neighborhood at the time, and now it's it's gentrified. But uh, you know, I came from a very small household, um, humble family, and you know, very religious upbringing. But um, you know, when I started to play music, I was going out eight nights a week and and uh, trying to get involved with the musical community there. When in my younger years, I was going to a lot of bluegrass shows and I was going to a lot of country shows and just trying to really trying to um, to just drink it all in and to meet anyone I could who would have an effect on me, you know, in which they did. My first couple records especially are extremely um, devoted to that part of the Toronto music scene. And, you know, I was in Montreal last year for a bit and I went down to uh, catch some great country and bluegrass um, acts there as well. And, and there's a very strong scene in Montreal too. But uh, yeah, in, in, in Toronto there's a when I was growing up, there's a very working class mentality, and there's something about you know a city guy singing country music that you know it's uh, it's a bit of a paradox. But uh, you know, my city roots are still are still strong, even though I did move out to the country a few years ago. Yeah, I still I still love Toronto. It's changing, and I don't know if it's necessarily for the better. But uh, I do go out a lot less than I do. But but there's still a very strong music community in Toronto, yeah. Have you found the uh, the calling to ever head to Nashville or what have you? Because I know a lot of Canadian artists actually end up there these days. You know, I, I did. I spent a lot of my 20s, not a lot of my 20s, but I went I went down to Nashville a lot in my 20s. Um, I had a publishing deal at the time with EMI Music, and they would send me down to Nashville to do co-writing and to meet with various people, and it never really... You know, to, to to be a co-writer, uh, it, it 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 takes a certain type of personality. And I, I, to be honest with you, Kelly, I don't I don't know if I possess it. Um, I was at the time I was more interested in my own career and what I, I you know I'm not a mainstream songwriter and um, I couldn't really bend my own rules to become one. Um, you know, I could I probably shot myself in the foot a bunch but um i i was i just tried to stay true to what i believed in and what i thought i could contribute uh musically and i so i didn't i didn't pursue the nashville route i have a lot of friends that have and are doing quite well at it but um you know call me stubborn it never really it never really it took hold of me Hanging out with us on the uh, the show is Toronto singer-songwriter Justin Rutledge. You can grab all of his social media handles by hitting up his website, justinrutledge.com. Justin, your new album is called Passages. What is the album all about, and was it a challenging experience uh, to record, or were you, like, in glee going through the process? <laughs> well, it's tough. It's, it's my eighth studio album, and... Uh... It's become a bit of a, it's, you know, the, the studio has become a bit of an office um, at this point. So not to say it's not energizing being in there, because it is, but it's, it's, it's definitely different, a different experience making my eighth album as it was making my second, let's say. 
um, I'm a little less, uh, I'm a, I, I guess I'm a lot more critical when I'm in the studio of myself. And uh, it's a bit of a, I've got a, a bit of tunnel vision going on when I'm in there. But uh, yeah, there's, there's less sort of um, uproar and, and, and joy. And there's a little, there's a lot more focus. And, you know, I want to tackle the job at hand. And so there's, there's a lot less high-fiving than there used to be, but it, the, the ultimate goal is always the same, and that's to get the best songs we can. That's ultimately to surround the songs in the best type of production that we can. And I don't know, I, I like to keep things natural. You know, I, I'm still, I still love making records with five guys or girls in a room. And um, to me, that's I really love the organic nature of uh, playing with a band in a room and getting that take, and then you know building on, building on that. So, but recording passages is, uh, you know, I, as I get older, um, I find songwriting becoming a lot more, a lot more difficult than it used to be, and it's not because I have less to write about. It's it's because there's just more distractions in my life. And they're, they're not distractions, they're sort of responsibilities. You know, as you get older, I got a kid on the way, and I'm married, and, you know, it's, uh, <laughs> you got to take, take out the trash on Wednesdays, you know. So <laughs> <laughs> it's it's uh, finding time to sort of sit down and craft tunes is uh, becoming a little more spare these days, but it's, I don't know, I still love it, and I always will, I think. Can you talk to us a little bit about the fact that you are about to become a dad? Like, do you think this is going to change you as an artist? Will you, like, do you have any clue of what's coming kind of thing? No, I was talking to my wife about that, and we're both pretty clueless about what talks about it's going to change you. And, uh, you know, we, we we haven't read any books. We're due in about three weeks. Uh, oh, wow. We've we had a bit of catching up to do, but, uh, yeah, I imagine yeah, I'm just going to open myself up to this little guy and, um, you know, I want, you know, I'm going to try to be the best person I can be. And, you know, our lives are going to change. But, you know, I'm I'm 40 years old and I've, I've had enough of myself. You know, it's time for me to, I can't wait to dedicate my life to someone else, you know. That's really cool. And uh, with regards to the fact that you now have a, a child on the way, do you think this is going to affect your touring schedule and all that sort of stuff? Or are you just going to have to be more specific about what you do and where you go? Yeah, I think, uh, well, I've taken the summer off just to help my wife, you know, uh, you know, with the kid, and then I'll go out west in uh, October, and then I have some southern Ontario dates in, in uh, September. So, you know, uh, I I think it's just working around, just planning well in advance, and making sure, you know, that we have the right uh, the right you know people on hand to help us out and to ask for help. But my wife is self employed; I'm self employed, so you know we don't have any mad or pat leave. Um, so, you know, we're just going to have to plan. But, you know, being self-employed has always been about that, right? Mm-hmm. So we'll work around it. Speaking of being self-employed, uh, what would you like people to know that are listening uh, about the struggle is real as a recording artist, uh, not only in Canada, but just the way the industry is this days, or these days, I should say? Um, has it gotten better or worse for you as the years have, have gone on? I know social media is supposed to help, but sometimes I wonder if it just makes things more laborious. Yeah, this is you know this is the great this is the great right now. I mean, uh, the push and pull of you know with social media, you can reach a wider audience. But you know, if you can reach a wider audience, that's that's great. But if that wider audience is just streaming your records and not buying anything physically, then 
where does the money come from, I guess, right? That's, mm-hmm. the, that's the question. And how does... I was talking with a friend of mine about this the other day, and, uh, you know, if I was a, an 18 or 19-year-old aspiring songwriter, you know, with the choice of, you know, he put me back in my shoes 20 years ago and said, you know what, I want to take a year off and make a record. You know, the difference today is that to what end, right? I mean, it, it, it's become... It's always been a, a bleak way to make a living, but it seems like I think what we might lose are those the young people that want to want to write songs and want to make a career of it. But it's just you know those those royalty checks or the mechanical checks, the quarterly checks are just not they're laughable, you know, um, compared to what they used to be. And um, so it's just it's that that I'm worried about. It's it's people. Um, not getting the support they need at a young start and not, you know, it's almost like the what's the point mentality, you know? I mean, you don't go into this business for glory, and if you are, then you're doing it for the wrong reasons. But, uh, yeah, it's a a tough, it's a tough go. I mean, it takes a lot of sacrifice. It takes a lot of will, and, uh, you know, there's not a day that I... You know, thankfully, I can I can I can eke out a living on this, but uh, I'm always thinking about uh, how I can do stuff on the side to supplement things, and that that's just that's just the way it is. And I don't see I don't see streaming going anywhere. So uh, you know, Apple just cut iTunes, right? So there's actually no way for someone to actually purchase something through um, iTunes anymore, right? Um, so Bandcamp's a really great way to support artists, and I think if you're a true fan, you know, you go out and buy records. You know, we were at a show last night. We saw Tim Baker from Hey Rosetta play and made sure we bought a couple of things out, you know, as we as we left the venue. I think it's all up to the fans these days, you know. If they want their favorite artists to keep making music, they've got to, they've got to support them financially. Before I let you go, I did want to ask you as well, um, for someone, you know, because we have uh, audience members that are listening from Japan right now and England and all that sort of stuff. So for people who don't know you, what do you want them to know about you to pick up your music? Well, <laughs> I, I'm a sensitive guy. I like long walks on the beach. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I predominantly write, um, you know, uh, Someone said to me once, I write d- divorce songs. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, I don't know. I, li- I write I write sort of simple, mellow country music, you know, it's, uh, with, with a literary twist. So um, if that's what you're looking for, I'm your man. Awesome. Uh, Justin, thank you so much for doing this. And, of course, we wish you all the best. And congratulations on Baby on the Way. Thank you so much, Kelly. It was a pleasure to speak with you. That's Toronto singer-songwriter Justin Rutledge. Again, you can grab all of his social media handles off his website, justinrutledge.com. The Kelly Alexander Show, bringing you fresh sounds like this. Maybe I'll get up, turn off the news. Turn off the news and build a Time for a look at some new music. Up first, Lucas Nelson and Promise of the Real. They're a country rock band based in California, and they have had a stellar year headlining shows all over the world and collaborating with Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper on the A Star Is Born soundtrack, as well as appearing alongside them in the film. Now, the band has just released their new album, Turn Off the News, Build a Garden, and the song you're hearing right now is the title track. 
The band is on the road for some tour dates. You can check out their website for details, lucasnelson.com. Madonna's new album, Madam X, is finally here, and you know what? This album is eclectic and a lot of fun. In listening to the full album, she has definitely, definitely, definitely been influenced by living in Lisbon, and the instrumentation is phenomenal. Now, the song you're hearing is called I Don't Search, I Find, and I think it has some serious disco vibes, and to me, it's a little bit reminiscent of her great track, Deeper and Deeper. Madonna, by the way, has some concert dates coming up. You can check out her website for details. And get this, Madonna is the best-selling female solo touring artist of all time and has the highest grossing concert tour ever by a female artist with her Sticky and Sweet tour, which happened in 2008 and 2009, bringing in 408 million bucks. The material mom still in full effect. Say it in the street, that's a knockout. But just say it in a tweet, that's a cop out And I'm just like, hey, are you okay? Taylor Swift made a lot of people happy when she dropped her latest single, You Need to Calm Down. And we've said it before and we'll say it again. Taylor definitely knows how to craft a pop song that is going to stay with you. Because once you hear the song once or twice, it is with you for the rest of the day. And this track has some extra octane because Taylor goes right after people who do not support the LGBTQ community. And the lyrics are more playful and witty than harsh, but they definitely have a point. And do yourself a favor, make sure to check out the music video for the song. It's fantastic. It has a lot of great gay icons in the video like Ellen DeGeneres, RuPaul, Billy Porter, and Laverne Cox. And what is really cool is at the end, she has Katy Perry come on. And this is just fantastic because as we know, there has been this long-standing feud with them, which kind of got resolved, I think, last year, but they really sort of bring it home by having Katy in the video with her. So definitely check it out. And uh, Taylor's new album called Lover drops August 23rd. New music on The Kelly Alexander Show. Keep in mind that you can subscribe to our show on all the major podcast platforms, Apple, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, and Google Play. Joining us on the show is Montreal-based composer and pianist Matt Herskowitz, who has recently released his new album, Mirror Image. Matt has been mixing jazz and classical music for years on many different projects, and we're looking forward to finding out what route he has taken on this new album. Matt, welcome to The Kelly Alexander Show. Hey, thanks. Thanks, Kelly, for having me. Can you, can you start off, I guess, by telling us how, or did you know early on that being a musician was going to be your life's path? Yeah, I did. I thought it would be... Uh, I've known that since I was three years old. Uh, I did think it would be uh, classical, and it was classical for a while. Uh, for you know, most uh, most of my uh, formative years as a musician, I would say I was. Uh, I went to classical conservatories, and while I was at one of those in, in Philadelphia, um, I started getting into jazz. I'd always been interested in that. I, I played, you know, Gershwin and Ragtime, and and, uh, and I would always improvise on uh, classical pieces when I was a kid. Um, you know, so I was playing it straight uh, and developing as a classical pianist. And then uh, in my teens, I got into jazz in uh, Philadelphia and started uh, learning the jazz language. And, you know, I was sort of like very, had a voracious appetite for it. Um, and uh, that led to, you know, playing gigs and doing jam sessions and, you know, whatever, uh, gospel jams and, and stuff like that. So uh, I got a pretty good experience with that. I continued in New York 
going to school for classical, but then continued doing gigs and playing with uh, really good jazz players. I always uh, one smart thing I did I always played with people who were better than me, so that you know I would have to constantly up my game. And uh, so the the two were sort of concurrent, but classical was the focus. That actually changed a few years after I got to Montreal. Um, I decided I was going to actually switch and become and and really learn jazz. The only way I was really going to learn it was if I dedicated you know all of my time to it and wasn't pursuing a classical career, which I really wasn't interested in anymore, to be honest. Can you talk to us a little bit about the difference be- between jazz and classical, just with, um, I guess, a, a player's mindset? Because I know, for example, for me, when I'm on the radio, it's a different brain that I seem to use when I'm on the FM, like Top 40 side, versus when I'm hanging out on the talk station. Uh, yeah, I imagine so. <laughs> um, yeah, well, uh, I would say with, with classical, you really got it pay attention to every note that you're doing and, and be constantly uh, singing the phrases and, you know, don't, you, you can't, you, you know, you got to keep track of a, a million and one things at once. Um, and, you know, it's all about um, getting the right sound and touch and, and uh, you know, you, the similar things is that in both, you have to let go when you're performing. Uh, but classical requires a, a hell of a lot of focus um, I, with jazz, uh, you know, once you've mastered the language and once you, you kind of have your sound, it's that, yeah, you want to be in it, but you, you, you're in it in the moment. Um, and it should be that way with classical too, but it's difficult because, you know, there's often, uh, music requires such a, a lot of objective concentration. Um, but in jazz, what I, what I really like about it is that you're creating it as you go. And you don't know what's going to happen. And if you if you get off a little bit from what you intended, which happens to everybody, you can always either weave your way back, or you can just hey, that's interesting, and just go on a totally new tangent. And um, uh, you know, if you're if you're playing uh, solo, you can be whatever you want. If you're playing with a trio, um, that's kind of like chamber music, um, where you're listening to each other and you're you're uh, improvising together. Um, it shouldn't be, you know, everyone, everyone just follows the leader and, you know, you're sort of dictating what the terms are. It should be uh, a sort of a chamber music experience. So I think my experience with classical, with, with chamber music, um, uh, did uh, kind of um, give me a, 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 an insight uh, and, and a window into uh, how I could apply that um, to jazz jamming, and that's I think jazz musicians do that naturally. And it's uh, it's yeah. When I it, it was difficult uh, getting back to the 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 brain splitting. It was difficult at first to play like a classical and then switch right to jazz. I mean, they're, they're they are two different brain functions essentially. Um, you know, it's it's just because the music is so different. There's one kind of concentration for one and then there's something else for the other. Um, so I would find that it would be tough to get into blowing and really creating uh, with complete freedom right after I've just, you know, had this focus on performing something uh, classical. So this album uh, helps to reconcile that. I mean, I've come a long way. Um, I've been doing this for, for quite a few years now. 
And with things like the Ravel Concerto and um, the Satie Schubert medley, um, it's the integration of improv within the classical structure um, kind of uh, makes the distinctions of, you know, the split brain thing because, you know, the two disciplines are very different. But it's I found that it's really melting away and that I am now able to have the freedom uh, to do both uh, at the same time and just kind of weave in and out uh, from from uh, improvisation into in- interpretation and then improvisation. Um, I find I'm able to do that now, and that's that's sort of been the holy grail that's been so elusive. And it sort of came together on this album, which was really a great surprise because that was not the goal to, to, for this album, to, to do that. But the process really... Um, yeah, it was it's it it's, was a really great learning experience. Joining us on the Kelly Alexander Show is composer and pianist Matt Herskowitz. You can learn more about him on his website and grab all of his uh, social media handles, which is mattherskowitzpiano.com. With regards to the new album, uh, Mirror Image, do you have favorite songs on there, Matt, or are they all your babies? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. It's too new. I don't know yet. Um, you know, it's got to it's got to sort of sift a while. Um, I do like uh, uh, Mirror Image, uh, which kind of is this a little combination of intellectual and um, romantic, kind of, uh, I guess, brain and heart. Um, I like some of the ones that are just completely romantic, uh, like I didn't know where they would go when I, when I did them, like Song for Katya. You know, that one was, uh, was quite a surprise. And... I, I like the, uh, uh, I, I do like the Ravel. Um, that was, you know, I didn't know if I'd be able to pull that off, and uh, I'm quite happy with that. So I guess those are, um, oh, yeah, Tribute to John Coates um, is now one of my favorites. Um, and uh, this one actually took me several tries to, to get in the studio. Um, but, uh it's just going way back, the very first jazz tune I ever wrote while I was uh, transitioning from classical. And it's because I was uh, checking out this guy, John Coates, in Pennsylvania. Um, a friend of mine took me to see him. And I later learned that, that this guy inspired Keith Jarrett. Um, and you can hear it. And it was just it was just an amazing experience. So, I mean, this tune came out, and it had his you know voice and imprint all over it. So I said, okay, well, this is a tribute to... John Coates. Um, so, yeah, I think if I had to pick one, I think that one is pretty, uh, pretty special. I'm glad that uh, that I revived it and, and finally put it down uh, on a recording. Now, when it comes to you as a musician, are you more of like a studio rat, where you just love being in the studio and composing and all that kind of stuff? Or are you more of the performance person, where you love being out on the road and doing what you need to do in front of a bunch of people? Uh, more of the performance person doing the, what I love to do in front of a bunch of people. That's that's kind of where I get my fuel. Um, I'm a good studio rat for everyone else except for myself. I'm terrible in the studio. I mean, I'm getting better, but man, I, I start freaking out. I'm, I, I, you know, if there's no one there to perform for, I, I get very self-conscious. Oh my God, this wasn't perfect or that that wasn't quite right and you know so it's sort of go all Glenn Gould or something it's like, 
no, that's, that's not the way to go. But when it's, when it's for somebody else, you know, when they give me, they tell me what they want. Yeah. then I can, I can just do it and give it to them. Um, and then it's, it's fun. So this, uh, this process was (laughs) a bit confronting, that uh, that kind of uh, fear of studio that I have, which is stupid because, you know, you're in the studio. There's, it's precisely because there's nobody there and you can do it again that you should be relaxed. And it's when you're performing, it's precisely because there's a whole bunch of people there and you only get one shot. You can't do it again. That, you, you, that should freak you out, but it's the opposite for me. I, I don't get it. I think everybody has a different personality too, so it depends. Like, I think if you have all the pressure on yourself, I think that's probably why you start to freak out. I understand that completely. Uh, I wanted to ask you too, uh, you are originally from the States and you did move up to Montreal. Uh, Is there a big difference for you sort of uh, in the different milieu? Like, do you feel more artistic here in Canada? Um, Yeah, actually, uh, I do. Um, I left in uh, 99. I was in New York. And, um, I was just, I was, I became like a, a gigger. Um, someone would later tell me, a contractor would later tell me that they, they referred me as the club date king behind my back because I was like taking every gig, um, to, to make money to pay the exorbitant rents in New York city. Um, and that at a certain point, yeah, I learned from doing gigs when I was in school, but at a certain point you're not learning anything more. And you're just dragging yourself all over the place and it talks and it just sucks. And there wasn't anything really creative happening. And I got opportunity to, you know, in Montreal um, and in Quebec and I, I took it and I went there and, you know, it was like a creative renaissance and I got to explore who I wanted to be. I got to, I felt I could, you know, because of the, I didn't need to make so much money. I felt I could actually leave classical and, and just explore what I wanted to do. I couldn't have done that in New York. So um, I think uh, this, yeah, I did find it more creatively accessible. Um, you know, like in New York, it, everything is sort of quarantined. Uh, you're not going to get into, you know, the Studio Rat Club or the Film Music Club or, uh, you know, the Composers Club um, or, you know, this uh, chamber group uh series club or whatever you 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 have to sort of be in it and i i found i was sort of on the outside of a lot of that stuff especially with jazz world there because um i wasn't really one of them and they weren't about to sort of welcome me in um so all of that sort of opened up in montreal and i got all that experience and you know i started writing a lot of music and and really you know playing with great people and you know, doors were opening. Uh, so I, yeah, I did. I think I owe, I owe my, uh, my, uh, career, uh, as it became to, uh, to Quebec, to that move. Uh, before I let you go, Matt, I did want to ask you, are you going to be touring the album? Can people see you out on the road? Um, yes, they can. Let's see. I, um, performing at the uh, Festival des Autres Laurentides on July 5th. Um, that's in, uh, the Laurentians in Quebec. And then I've got, uh, I've got the Montreal album launch at Liaisons on July 6th, uh, 7 PM, um, in Montreal. Uh, I just did the album launch, uh, the Toronto album launch at, uh, uh, the jazz bistro, um, uh, a couple of weeks ago. 
let's see, after that, it's hard to remember. There is stuff, um, uh, but uh, consult my website, you know, with uh, MattHerskowitzPiano.com. I put everything up on my calendar. That's awesome. Well, congratulations on the new album, Matt. Thank you so much for joining us, and you're welcome back anytime. Thanks, Kelly. It's a pleasure. That's composer and pianist Matt Herskowitz. Again, follow him on all of his social medias by hitting up his website, MattHerskowitzPiano.com. Listen anytime, anyplace. Just a click away. KellyAlexanderShow.com Super excited to welcome back onto the Kelly Alexander Show our social media editor and one of our producers. And we figured out last time that he speaks, Jeffrey Davies. <laughs> Hi, Jeffrey. Thank you for having me back. I'm so happy to have you back. We got positive response from your first visit onto the show. And so happy to have you back. And I should mention that you also do blogging, which is huge. So it's social media editing, producing, and blogging for The Kelly Alexander Show, which we appreciate very, very much. And so this time around, very excited because uh, in our neck of the woods, I know we have people listening over in Asia and England and all that sort of good stuff. And I realize in certain parts of the world, it's winter now. But for us over here in North America, it is summer. And in summer, we love to hear new music. And so I know you've put together something for us about some uh, new songs that are out that people should be paying attention to, and then also some new albums. So we're going to hop into albums very quickly, but I did want to start with one song to to begin with, because it's Taylor Swift, and it's new, and it's exciting, and we know that her album is coming on August 23rd, and it's called Lover. But let's talk to you about this brand new song that just came out called You Need to Calm Down. So she released the lead single from the new album in April, which was called Me, and it was uh, a collaboration with the guy from Panic at the Disco, Brendan Urie. And, like, I feel like some people... I mean, I think in general, when Taylor Swift like is you know releasing something new in the last few years, it was like, oh my God, what's happening? Because like she probably been in the news or celebrity gossip with some like some garbage or some just like n- like trashy comments or just you know something that wasn't worth talking about. But you know, it always seemed to follow her. Um, but like this time, I found it was like everyone was kind of just, oh, she has a new song coming out. And, like, there was less drama surrounding her this time. And I thought that was just really refreshing, just, like, for me as a listener and for, like, other listeners, too. It was like, oh, Taylor Swift is coming out with a new song, just, like, as any other artist would. And so I thought, like, me was really catchy, and I was, like, happy to hear on the radio because it's, like, just that happy-go-lucky kind of carefree summer song. And then she came out with, just a few days ago, a, a new song called You Need to Calm Down, which I thought, when I saw the title, I was like, that's such a funny title I was like this this is probably gonna be such a cool song and it was because she has like all this kind of like pride month imagery and like lgbtq um like community members who were poof were in the music video with her and like just such a carefree fun song like catchy as anything she writes is catchy but like just i'm like just leaves you like excited to listen to the full album when it comes out yeah, exactly. And I do want to give her a shout out with regards to the You Need to Calm Down. The video is fantastic. And it's so awesome uh, how she is having fun and there's like some kitsch going on, but she knows that there's undertones of seriousness and, uh, you know, to hopefully push people in the right direction to kind of get over it. So I thought it was great. And I love that in the video that they finally got over their business, her and Katy Perry. 
Uh, yes, I, I thought, loved that. I thought that was a brilliant move on both their parts to uh, kind of kiss and make up like in a video. It's just, it, yeah, was, it was cool. I, and I thought of you when I watched it because as listeners, again, might or might not know, Kelly is a huge fan of Katy Perry. And when that whole Taylor Swift, Katy Perry nonsense started happening where it was like, is it real or is it fabricated? And it was like, it's kind of real, but like then kind of blown out of proportion. And then they both kind of started playing with it in the media. It was like, I think they both kind of acknowledge now, or at least Taylor Taylor has, I'm sure Katy Perry feels the same, but like they both kind of acknowledge that it's like, okay, like we've, we've, you know, worn this out. It kind of got blown out of proportion by everyone. And like, this was like kind of like a confirmation of what everybody knew. It was like, okay, this is, this has gone too far. Like, let's just all kiss and make up, like you said. Yeah, exactly. And now I know I said we were going to talk about albums, but because we've just ended up talking about Katy Perry, let's talk about Katy Perry and her new song, Never Really Over. I know you're a big fan of, of this particular track from her. Yes, I love it so much. And it was funny because like a week before it came out, my cousin, my cousin Trevor, who will now listen because I've mentioned him, he always texts me and says like, oh, there's like this new song coming out or these or like so much new music coming out. And I, and I said, oh, really? And I, I was I was like off the grid that day. I didn't hear about any of the new music. And he was like, oh, Katy Perry has a new song coming out. And my initial reaction was, oh, really? Like... It takes me. I said it takes me so much energy to pretend to still care about Katy Perry, and that's like a bit of a bit of a snobby remark on my part, just because like I feel like she was you know really popular around 2010 and had like a bunch of really fresh, catchy, radio-friendly pop songs, and then kind of like didn't really know how to keep her like head in the game. In my in my opinion, she kind of like had a hit and then didn't have a hit, and then like her last album in 2017, which was called Witness, like that was just kind of like all over the place in terms of quality, in my opinion. I was like, I don't really know what's next for her. Like, I don't, like, I don't really know how she's going to come back from that. Is she going to, like, you know, continue trying too hard or, like, come back with something like she used to come back with? And, like, I think she did exactly that. She came back with a new song that's, like, reminds you of, like, the Teenage Dream era where she was just you know, good pop song after good pop song. Like this song, just like the minute I hear it, like it makes me want to stop and dance. Like I I listen to it in the car all the time. And like, I just sing along to every single word. Like now I know every single word because like, if I'm feeling down, I'm like, I need to hear that song. It's going to make me sing along. It's going to make me happy. (laughs) Perfect. Now let's hop over to uh, albums. I know you wanted to talk about uh, Marina, who used to be Marina and the Diamonds, but I believe she's dropped uh, that full moniker now. It's Marina now. Mm-hmm. So she she came back with uh, her fourth studio album, which is called Love and Fear. And so it's two eight-track collections that form a set. So it's like Love is the first eight like eight tracks, and then Fear is the, is the last eight tracks. And the whole theme of that album revol- revolves around a psychological theory um, from this um, psychologist that she cites um, like in making the album that and she says that love and fear are the only two human emotions and we cannot feel them at the same time because they're opposites and so like I think Marina, Marina is like a diehard believer of that but then like when you when you hear the album it's like she's kind of subverting that and proving that it's like it's 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 kind of true but it's also kind of not true because like love and fear those those are emotions that overlap almost constantly. If you think about it, like right. we feel love, and we but we also like are, we're we're scared. We feel or we feel sad. So it's like love, fear, happiness, sadness, anxiety, depression. Like all of those emotions, like they overlap constantly in like in real life. So like she explores all of those throughout the entire album, and it's like 
just like a journey, like it's, it's like her personal journey to feeling, like a, to feeling like a real human being again. That's what she said. She said that she felt she was in the, she was in the spotlight for too long. And so she kind of went through this journey in making the album to like feel like a human again. And so she kind of brings all these emotions together to prove like what it is to be human. And there's a song on the album called To Be Human. So she, she kind of brings it all together. Speak to us about Olivia O'Brien. I've never actually heard of her. So who is she and what is this new al- album about? So she's actually not, I, I'm actually sad that she's like not more well-known. I hope, I'm hoping she will be like, you know, a bit bigger in a few years or even in like, a, like a few months maybe. Um, so she is, she's signed to Island Records and she first, she first popped in the scene, I think in 2016, she was featured on a song by a rapper who's, I think his name is Nash. It's, I don't, I don't know. I'm not sure. I forget, but his, he had a song called, I love, um, I hate you. I love you. And so it was a song that she wrote and he like, he, he got in touch with her somehow and like asked her personally to record it with him. And so from then, like she, like she became pretty internet famous, I think. And so she was signed to a record deal and she released an EP and had a few other songs. And then this year she came out with her full length debut album called, was it even real? which is like it, it tackles a bunch of different emotions and like for me um i actually discovered her by chance on youtube last year and like her music like resonated with me almost instantly just because i feel like she tackles a lot of emotion and like other different issues in her music like mental health and just other like just other like real life topics and she also has like really good lyrics and a lot of insight into fighting things like bad habits or just like dating or drinking too much or just like feeling like a mess like just you know the messiness of being a young person I think Mm -hmm. and so it's like it's hard to believe sometimes she's only 19 years old and she has like these songs that are so deep and meaningful and so I think her and her entire first album is a masterpiece (laughs) in my opinion Um, but two songs in particular that I love are one's called Love Myself which is like a reminder it's, it's like it's like really upbeat and it's like really upbeat and like dance friendly but it's like a reminder that you have to like you know love yourself before anything else and then there's another song called just a boy which is like just every, like it's kind of the same i have the same feeling when i that, that I, I when i hear that that i get when i hear Katy perry's new song it's like just so refreshing and catchy and like i want to stop and i want to dance so it's like i think for like listening to pop music it's like a good idea to have a variety of both like you know like a deep ballad and then also like a just a carefree song you want to dance to now uh we're almost out of time but i know that uh, we're going to talk quickly about ava max and mabel so which one do you want to hit first uh let's do ava max uh she ava max is might, might not know the name but she is the singer of the song called sweet but psycho which i think right now is pretty popular um, that song actually came out initially last summer, and it's since become uh, a worldwide sleeper hit. It's reached it's reached number one in 26 countries, and I personally love that song. I can I I never get sick of it. But she has since come out with a new song called "So Am I," which is the second single from her first album that's supposed to be coming out soon and it's the same kind of catchy carefree vibe you get from super psycho but it's like its lyrics are a bit are a bit more like specific and its lyrics celebrate like being a misfit and not fitting into society's format and so the and the chorus actually concludes with that like the lyrics are 
oh, but it's okay to be different because baby, so am I. And so I feel like this song will just kind of go on to help so many young people who struggle to fit in and like try so hard to conform so it'll be accepted. And like Ava Max is telling the world that it's okay to be different because she's different too. And like I feel like a lot of I feel like a lot of young people don't really ever hear that message. Like they might, they might be told like oh it gets better or something, but like they never they don't actually see someone like spelling it out for them so clear like it's okay to be different because I'm different too you know so I feel Mm -hmm. like hopefully that this song will go on to help a lot of people and Mabel I know that we're playing this on the station I work for don't call me up it's amazing uh and I think it is like becoming not even becoming it has become an amazing hit around the world don't call me up Yes, I'm at, like I, another song. I'm like happy to hear it on the radio because I heard it, like I heard it on on Spotify before it became really popular, and it's just like such a same kind of carefree vibe that all of these songs I've mentioned have. But it's like it's it's a bit different. It's like I I like to put it on and sing along because like it helps me get rid of like any negativity like from the day or like in my head. Like I I might not relate to like you know, uh, you know going out and getting a drink and you know flipping off some guy, but like. It just in terms of just any negativity, I find just the lyrics kind of, you know, build you up to 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 feel stronger as a person. So like, I'm I'm really happy to hear on the radio because I love it a lot. Perfect, uh, Jeffrey. Thank you so much for this. And before I let you go, what is the uh, current blog that you want people to check out on KellyAlexanderShow.com? Um, I recently I recently posted a new article about. Um, Judy Garland and the Stonewall riots, both of which, um, are the, the death of Judy Garland and the Stonewall riots are both celebrating their 50th anniversary this year. And so there's a special article on the website right now about the link between the two events. It's a controversial one, but it's important and you should check it out. Perfect. Jeffrey, I love you. Thank you so much for making time for us. Thank you for having me again. That's Jeffrey Davies, one of our social media editors, producers, and our resident blogger here on The Kelly Alexander Show. Well, thank you so much for hanging out with us on the program this week, and we appreciate, of course, our guests dropping by, Justin Rutledge, Matt Herskowitz, and Jeffrey Davies. My thanks as well going out to our super producer, Adam Brisson, for pushing all the right buttons. And keep in mind that you can listen to us on all the major podcast platforms, Apple, Spotify, Google Play, and Stitcher Radio. We'd also love for you to grab all of our social media handles. You can do that by hitting up our website, kellyalexandershow.com. Have a great week. You and I will chat soon. The Kelly Alexander Show.